Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look down in verse 17. Paul tells Timothy, what? To command those who are rich in this present age, because there are some that are. And again, he's not saying that it's a bad thing. He says, again, just get your head on right in reference to these things. He says, don't be haughty. Don't, Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Has God blessed you financially? Enjoy it. Absolutely enjoy it. But don't let it possess you. And understand, again, you've been blessed to be a blessing. God loves to bless His children, and one of the ways He does so is through financial prosperity. Not everyone who loves God will become rich, or should even seek to become rich. But when we are blessed in this way, it is for the purpose of being a blessing. In our time with Pastor David, we'll consider how we might be able to bless others as we seek to honor God. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Wealth is to be enjoyed. But riches should never get in the way of our relationship with God. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, How Much is Enough? That whole idea, that whole thought of gaining more, Maybe gaining just a little bit more. Maybe gaining a lot more. It just depends upon where I drive and how strong that is. I think all of us have dealt with that in one way or another. Maybe it's a continual thing that, that continually rises to the surface. Problem is, our request ought to be more like the writer of Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs, the great wisdom that's found there in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Just give me a balance. I don't want to have so much that I forget that it's you that's taking care of me. And yet I don't want to be so poor that I I, I feel that I need to go and steal and and be dishonest to, to be able to gain things. Here in this particular parable that Jesus shares with them, you see a man that's blessed with success. A man that, that again, his his field yielded plentifully. Apparently, it was a real bumper year. Apparently, it had never really happened that well for him in the past because his barns and his storage rooms couldn't even contain all of that. I mean, if it was just another good year, well, you know, I built big barns, you know, five years ago. We had a good crop. We've got big barns. No, this is, this is like, man, it's never been this good before. I've never seen my crops come in like this before. And he has no idea where to put the extra. His greatest problem, though, was his attitude. 
His greatest problem wasn't in space. His greatest problem was in his heart and in his focus. His problem wasn't that his barns were too small. The problem was that his vision and his understanding was too small. As you look at this man's declaration, notice the personal pronouns here. Those are the eyes and the mys. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 17. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. No less than 11 times, I, my. Understanding this is mine, it's all mine. Remember the little phrase from the little creature in uh, Lord of the Rings, mine, 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 mine. Just that idea of just holding on to anything and everything that we have. He speaks to himself. He says, man, we were, we're set for years. All I need to do now is just sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. All of his focus, all of his desire, all of his care are about himself and about his own comfort. Henry David Thoreau is credited with these words. He says, that man is richest whose pleasures are cheapest. He also said, a man is rich in proportion to the number of things which he can afford to let go. How much do you have in life? I know this morning it might be stepping on some toes. I know this morning it might be really rattling some brains. That's okay. The Word of God has to do that. If we come in and we're comfortable all the time, every time we hear the teaching of the Word of God, then we need to go to a different place. How much is there in your life that if you lost this afternoon, that you would still have contentment, you'd still have peace? Or would your world just be totally shattered if you found out this afternoon or tomorrow morning that uh, Dow Jones, uh, the whole uh, uh, stock market just absolutely collapsed one more time. Do you realize that there were men and women back in the early 2000s, 2007 and 8, when we had that big crash, who lost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars? Some of them took their lives. Some of them were so depressed because all they had was a few hundred million left. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. But what is it that you hold on to? What is it that's so important in your life that if it were all going tomorrow, you could still say, you know what? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Because none of those things, none of these material things that we hold on to, none of these material things that man pursues and, and rushes and grabs and seeks and drives for, none of those things reach into eternity. Like a pastor friend of mine used to always say, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Think about that for a moment. Everything that you and I see right now, everything that we have right now, there will come an end to it, except our relationship with Christ. How much investment are you placing in that richness and in that place? He had many goods laid up for many years, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? 
then Jesus says, and so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Some of you here are in absolute poverty. And I'm not talking about your finances. I'm talking about in your relationship with Christ. You're in absolute poverty and you know it. But some of you here this morning, Bill Gates ain't got nothing on you. You're rich beyond measure because of the sweetness of your relationship with Christ. And each day as you live your life, the things of this world become less and less important. And the things of glory become more and more attractive. No one knows the number of their days. There's not a one of us that can say, well, you know, for sure, three weeks from now, this is going to happen. No, we, we have to say, like James says, if we live and the Lord wills, you know, this and this will happen. We don't know the number of our days. And when we trust in things that are simply temporary, things that are material, things that are earthly, then we need to understand that we're trusting in something that, first of all, can never fully satisfy. Because, again, in trusting and desiring the, the material things, there's always this desire for more. And once you get some, man, if that's what tickles your boat or floats your boat or tickles your funny boat, whatever uh, combination of two or three things there... Uh, <laughs> If that's what drives you, then it's always going to be that desire of a little bit more and a little bit more. You need to also know that they're only going to last for a while, and they can depart just as easily and sometimes easier than how they arrived. Goods and material things, even investments, they can be gone in, in a moment's time. Thirdly, our, our focus and thus our hearts, we're, we're drawn away from the Lord when our focus is on those material things. We're drawn away not only from the Lord, but we're drawn away from those things that are eternal. We need to be those who are rich toward God. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, first off, uh, James chapter 1, verse 7 says that we need to be grateful to God for all that we have, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from the Father of lights. You've got something good in your life. You've got something that even in a material way has been a blessing in your life. Do you give glory and honor to God? Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, that we, we got a, a new car or that, our, that we got a new house or we, we got this or we've got a fat checking account or we've got good investments. Do you give glory and honor and praise to God? See, God's not against those things. He's not against those things at all. But he is against those things taking his place in your life. Do you give glory and honor and praise to God? That's how I can be rich toward God. And that everything that I have, I know, man, that's God that's done that. That's God that's working and moving in my life. Beyond that, I want you to take and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In being rich toward God... We also need to understand 1 Timothy chapter 6 down in verse 6. We need to understand and grow in contentment knowing that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And I dare say that you cannot have godliness without contentment. Because if you're not content in things, 
That means your heart and your mind and your, your focus isn't on the things of God. And it's really not godliness if you're still seeking and striving and, 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 and stressing about things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. <laughs> it's like the old saying is, there are no U-Hauls going to heaven, okay? There's no storage rooms up there. And then Paul tells Timothy, he says, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. He says, wow, that's pretty cut and dry. But you know, the vast majority of the world today, and even, I dare say, the vast majority of Christians today, when they say that prayer that says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, you know what they're asking for? They're asking for bread for that day. Because when they woke up that morning, there's nothing there. And what they're going to eat that day is whatever God provides, whatever they're able to work for that day. So what brings contentment to you? A little bit more or just enough? Lord, you've given me food. You've given me clothing. Everything beyond that, Lord, is just such a total amazing blessing that you are in my life. Down a little bit further still in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we need to be cautious in reference to material gain. Down in verse 9, we need to recognize that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many, what? Foolish and harmful lusts which draw men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which... Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Please, please, please get this right. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, because it's not. Money is just a thing. It's just a thing. And it can be used for his glory, or it can be used against his will and against his purposes. It's just a thing. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. There is great wrong in how we spend our money and what we do with it. There is great wrong in, uh, when we become hoarders of that with a mine, mine, mine kind of attitude. See, God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. God has provided for us so that we also can look and see the, the needs of other brothers and sisters who are in need. I, I totally understand the fact of what also Paul says, hey, he who does not work, uh, don't let him eat. There's a responsibility that everyone has to take care of his own. Uh, Paul says the, the one who doesn't take care of his own family, he's worse than an infidel. I understand that. But I also understand that brothers and sisters within Christ, there are times within each one of our lives that, that man, there's walls that we have, there's struggles. Uh, catastrophes happen. Financial collapse happens. And what an encouragement it is to know that brothers or sisters in Christ would be an encouragement, would stand alongside of us, would assist us in the way. You know, in the first century church, you, you, you know the story there in the book of Acts where no one felt, you know, that holding of anything that was his. And they just said, hey, man, you know, it's for the glory. It's the Lord's. What I have is the Lord's. I want to be a good steward. And so they shared among each other. Now, 
before everybody starts getting nervous, that's not what this message is all about. We're not going into a commune and you just, you know, put all your checking accounts here and I'll take care of them for you, okay? That's not what this is about. Understand also that in that early chapters of Acts, the church was going through a tremendous amount of persecution. People were losing jobs and losing houses and losing families. They were absolutely destitute. But yet the love and the concern that the believers had, not only for the Lord, but for each other, was shown in their actions, not just by verbal things that said, well, bless you, brother, hope it gets better, and moves on. But there was a real desire within their hearts, well, Lord, you blessed me last week with this. How can I bless someone else? How can I be a blessing to your kingdom with what you've blessed me with? You see, that's the hard attitude that Jesus is trying to drive home to those that were listening to him that day. That's the hard attitude that the word of God shows over and over and over again. Again, do the things possess you or do you possess things? If you do prosper financially, and praise God that many do, and I know that some of you here, you're, 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 you're fine financially. You're, you're fine. There's, there's, there's no financial concerns within your life. I understand that. If you do have material wealth, then you need to pay close attention to some of the rest of this that Paul tells Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look down in verse 17. Paul tells Timothy, what? To command those who are rich in this present age, because there are some that are. And again, he's not saying that it's a bad thing. He says, it, again, just get your head on right in reference to these things. He says, don't be haughty. Don't, don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Has God blessed you financially? Enjoy it. Absolutely enjoy it. But don't let it possess you. And understand, again, you've been blessed to be a blessing. He says also, let them do good, that, that they be rich in good works, and that they're ready to give, and that they're willing to share. See, it's okay. Finances are okay. But again, how do they control you, or do you control them? This is something that the man in this parable never thought of. He only cared about himself. He only cared uh, about future years. He, he, he wanted to know, hey, the man, I'm set for future years. None of us know we even have tomorrow. Paul tells Timothy, make sure and tell those that are rich in this present age, store up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. That's not next year. That's not in the economic downturn. No, the time to come is for, again, our relationship with Christ for all of eternity. He says, tell them to store up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And you see, here is where this man failed absolutely miserably. He had material wealth, but he had no good foundation because all he had was personal wealth. And he missed out on eternal life. That's why the word came to him, fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. You need to understand, those are not words spoken to one who's redeemed. No, these are words that are spoken to a lost man who continued on in his lostness. How much of our time is spent in gaining and maintaining the pleasures and the comforts of this world? And yet, these are not the things that make us fit for heaven. Jesus knew that the disciples 
problem probably wouldn't be how to deal with having too much. He understood that the disciples' problem was going to be, again, uh, balanced and to be balanced and to be focused when they didn't have enough. And yes, I know that within this congregation, the, the same issues face some of you even today. What happens when you don't have enough? Or at least when you don't think that you have enough because you see this world has set standards that you may be well below and so you're figuring, I don't have enough. You don't have enough according to whom? You don't have enough uh, in, in, in what way? Have you made some bad choices in life and so now you can't make the bills? Has there been things that have gone on in your life and you've refused to change? See back in Luke chapter 12. Jesus told his disciples in verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body or what you'll put on. But of course we all know that was just 2,000 years ago, this whole different culture, so that really doesn't impact us today, right? The same word is true today. 2016 and the United States of America who used to be the most powerful, the richest nation in the world. I'm not so sure anymore. I know that we're not the richest in the things of God. He says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, or about your body, what you're going to put on. Now, my version, the New King James Version, says, do not worry. Your particular version of the Bible might say, do not be anxious. It's the same word. It's a, it's a word that's translated that, that, from a word that means to be torn apart. Don't be torn apart worrying about these things that are simply material. That's exactly what worry and anxiety do in our life. It, it, it literally tears us apart. These are the things that ulcers are made of, okay? I won't ask for a raise of hand of those of you that have ulcers. We won't go there. As a matter of fact, the English word worry, our English word worry, comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle strangle. And isn't that exactly what Jesus said in the parable of the four soils, where the same seed goes out, and on one of the soils, man, the seed springs up, there's life in there, but it gets so suddenly choked out by the weeds and the thorns. And Jesus says what that means is the Word of God has come into that individual's life. They've sprung up with new life, but yet the cares and the concerns, the worry about the world has strangled them life. See, that's what the cares and the concerns for the things of this world will do to us. Strangle us out. Choke us. <laughs> I love what Corey Ten Boom declares, and we'll finish with this. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. Beloved, who are you trusting in, or what are you trusting in? Whether you abound in financial stability or whether you're struggling every day or every week just to make ends meet, who do you trust in? You see, Jesus is going to go on to this, and, but he says, just look around you. Look at my creation. Look at how well I've taken care of things. You don't think I can take care of you? Trust me. Trust me. You know, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You've entrusted your eternity to him. But what about tomorrow? Open our hearts. Change us from within by the open word. 
for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word. from we-